Dog. My name's Herfy Durfy. And I am Dante. God, uh, dude, this thing that Tim sent it uh, for the theme song, you have to crank it. Oh, really? Apparently I didn't crank it enough. I, I was wondering yeah. what that thing was you were lugging around and why you're bringing it here. But apparently that's how we're doing our theme song. Yeah, well, oh. it's I got it going. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, editing. I didn't know how much like manual editing temp did with this. So I feel like he's got a bunch of musical instruments playing and, you know, I got a keyboard over here now and he sent me a flute. I don't know what to do with that. Um, I mean, but you know, I, he's, he's had a bunch of times that editing is a lot of work and stuff like that. And I always, you know, thought it was a lot of work and I don't know what he uses to edit the, the files that we sent him really, but I, I didn't realize he, you know, did everything that manually. Yeah, I always imagine, I guess after seeing like everything that we've got here that I've got to work with tonight, it's kind of like one of those music boxes that you like, you know, wind up a little bit and you see the little spikes flicking the uh, the metal pieces to play music. And I uh, I kind of wonder if he takes our audio tracks and makes one of those uh, (laughs) and then like he has to make all of these metal things that sync up with our exact uh, tone and it gives us pretty good clarity I'd say if, if that's the case I mean if he really does that and now I'm just imagining Tim sitting there with a really small hammer and just you know hammering <laughs> the tiny little things into place oh that's that's half a tone off ding 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 yeah he's he's got an ear for it though for sure but uh, all joking aside, uh, we're going to get into the news, but Temp is on vacation, living the big life, uh, but the show's got to go on. I mean, we're only on every other week, and um, Herf and I are just being lazy, doing our normal job, and we figured we could set this part two up for a little bit, uh, a little bit of fun. Uh, what do you think, Herf? We, we, yeah. we going to have some fun with the news? <clears throat> Yeah, I think we we can probably do this, right? I mean, usually Tim kind of leads us through the beginning of the episode, but I I feel like, you know, after we figured out the whole crank thing and everything, I I think we're good to go, right? Yeah, I got to figure out how to play the flute. Well, uh, I got a tutorial on ocarinas, so we'll we'll figure that out later on. Um, For now, uh, I guess the first bit of exciting news, uh, and maybe some of you uh, diehard listeners uh, knew this, uh, but this is three years for Gomo Podcast. Three, three entire years. We did it. Uh, but this is not our celebration episode because Temp's not here. Um, <laughs> I, we can't leave the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who actually does everything. <laughs> we can't who, leave him out. Yeah, I mean, the guy without whom this probably wouldn't even exist. He's, he's the guy who DM'd me all those long three years ago and was like, hey, dude. Uh, I heard your commentary. Uh, it seems like you know a bunch of stuff about this. Uh, it seems like you're an admin on a couple of things. Do you maybe want to do a podcast about this rando business? So, you know, if he hadn't done that, I, I probably wouldn't be here. Uh, and I'm not sure if GMP would exist in the form it does now. Yeah, um, my experience is kind of the same. I got the DM. Hey, Axe is leaving the show. Don't tell anybody. And I was like, okay. And it's like, <laughs> Do uh do you want to be the replacement? It's <laughs> like all right, sure, sure. <laughs> and now I'm here. Um, but yeah, so uh, Tim will be back next week. Uh, you'll hear him in the interview when we get to part two with Fred in just a bit. Uh, we do want to follow up with some stuff we plugged last episode. Uh, there are some new racing council leaders. 
that have been elected uh, and the election was no contest. Uh, so it's not that we're the best. It's just that we're the only ones who signed up. So Amerith, Chimo and myself, Dante will be the leaders slash, I guess, spokespeople for the council uh, for this term. Not really anything special about that job, to be honest, except you get to post announcements and make everybody mad. Uh, <laughs> and it was a no contest too, right? I wonder, you know, there's going to there's gonna be two people out there who are going to get that reference. But uh, no, I, I had to get that in after you said you got all, you all got voted in with no contest. I, I can't, that's like Yeah, it was, at one point there were four and I was like, who's the fourth? And I looked and it was Sinak because he set up the, the reaction like emote. And I was like, oh, well, Sinak can't be a leader. He's already an admin. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, but let's let's get back. Temp talked about them turny tornadoes that were blowing through. And uh, I guess I'll keep the alliteration going. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the spoiler pilot pilot spoiler turny turny going on with the keys. Uh, last time Temp had me report in on my standing. We'll we'll do that again. Uh, I know groups are concluding. I think as of this week, uh, as the episode comes out, uh, all the tiebreaker races have to be done. And uh, unfortunately, myself and Lilithan lost our, t- our tiebreaker race against uh, 2C and Will WC, but we had a great time doing it. It's actually a really good watch, to be honest, because it was a 12 second gap. Um, oh. Really, really good. We took different routes. Uh, apparently, Master Sword, me, me having tr- trouble in Meyer, and I didn't watch his whole VOD, so I don't know where he had trouble. But when it came down to near the end, apparently Master Sword Silvers versus tempered silverless uh was a little bit in his favor with the master sword silvers so Mm. um but yeah it it was really fun we had a great time doing inverted keys absolutely a nightmare for the pilot but it's super fun (laughs) yeah i can Um, imagine looking looking forward to trying to get everyone to play that in brackets so i can either lose out really fast or make everyone mad (laughs) not not really sure how that's going to go though yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that, but still, you're, you know, despite losing that, you're still moving on to the bracket. So GG to that and congrats. I hope uh, you make it a little bit further. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how things go. Um, moving on to cross keys. They are in week seven of eight as far as Swiss goes. Dude, eight weeks of Swiss. I thought six was terrible back in 2018, mm-hmm. um, but these guys are still playing. and. Uh, you know, Wally uh, wall kicks or Wally, as I was saying, he was in my chat at one point and uh, I asked his standing and he said he was five and one. And I'm like, dude, you're a shoe in. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, if I lose the next two, I'm completely eliminated. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's so it's, crazy. Yeah. Like, I just do not understand. Uh, right now, sitting at the top of that tournament. Goomba and Schulzer both at seven and oh, mm-hmm. uh, very, very solid standing. Um, and do you want to mention Ramon Humbug, Zelga Desan, Dataplet, all six and one currently. Um, so a whole like a little bit of matches to be played uh, this week. Still, uh, we did. They did have a few drops and that kind of is expected when, uh, you know, you, you get eliminated and you've got a huge, huge pool of players. People are obviously going to drop. That's totally yeah. understandable. All things considered. But yeah, they're moving along. Hopefully we'll have a top 16 uh, bracket by the next time uh, we have an episode. And then we can talk about all the contenders in there because that's going to be a really spicy bracket. I think what are they doing? Best of three uh, and it's single elim. So best of three cross keys 
big time investment, but it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch, I think. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, as you were saying, how people go about it in those best of three brackets after enduring eight weeks of friggin' Swiss play. Yeah, it, it kind of has. Uh, now, I, I'm not in it, so I can't like I didn't even enter Swiss, so I can't like crap on it too hard like mm-hmm. for the mode, because if it works, it works. Fantastic. Um, but the, the sheer number of matches, especially if you get late into the tournament, uh, really has that vibe of the whole group stage. Uh, you know, obviously there's no qualifiers, but it, it, it kind of just makes me think back to the fall 2018 tournament yeah. uh, group stage where you play 15 matches no matter what. And man, that's a, that's a lot of matches. <laughs> it is pretty crazy if you think about it. Just, you know, as you said, especially with the, the mode that they're playing cross keys, it's quite the time investment. And then having to play eight weeks of this and then go into a best of three brackets. That's, you know, at some point you've played enough cross keys, even if you really like the mode. Yeah, and I mean, with all these tournaments going on, we've kind of, you know, seen a dip in ladder just a little bit. Uh, you know, as far as participation, there's maybe it's the modes, maybe it's just the sheer burnout, maybe it's summer and everyone's taking a vacation, who knows, but, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these new ladder modes. The season's about to wrap up. We didn't really want to go in that too much, but I know that's like about a week or so out, right, Herf? Yeah, it's not too far off and I'm excited. Uh, we've already announced that the, I think we've already announced that. Hang on, let me take a look before I say something that I'll regret later. I think I know what you're going to say and I think it has been announced, <laughs> so you're, you're probably good to say it. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I think, yeah, we have announced it. Uh, the, we're going to have that speed yeah. gaming live uh preset is going to be like the casual boot style hard mode exactly that they're tweaking yeah we discussed it on last episode uh if you want to know about that go download that episode and give it a listen mm-hmm. uh but that's going to be one of those new ladder modes i think we did say that last last time too i but. believe so yeah i think i think it was already announced last time it's been it's been some time so my you know faulty old man brain already forgot yeah, we we had to be careful because, you know, you and me know, like the, the stuff that's being discussed with Speed Gaming Live as far as the administrative side. And we know, you know, the latter stuff. So it's like, can we say this? Can we not say this? It's like <laughs> we have to. It's like we want to tell you guys stuff, but there's some stuff maybe we can't tell or just because it hasn't been cemented and we don't want to spread misinformation, to be honest. Um, but moving along, hybrid major glitches. That was the tournament that happened. It, it's over. It's completely over, Hirsch. <laughs> it certainly um, happened. And we also it was, know uh, who won it, didn't, don't we? Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. Like, it's, it's finally concluded. Uh, we'll go. We've got a top four here for you. In fourth mm-hmm. place, Aussie 101. Third place, Spleeby. A runner-up second place was Purdy Wong. I like saying that guy's name. Uh, it just you know flows right off the tip of the tongue. And a huge congratulations to Crithel for taking the gold in three games against Purdy Wong. Uh, dude, hybrid matrix glitches is tough. Like, uh, it's, yeah. it's tough to kind of piece it together. I feel like from what I watched of it, you've got to have some luck. Obviously, you got to know the clips. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to have a little bit of luck, too, just because of the way the key logic is with switching between dungeons. You know, Malmo's talked about that a little bit here on the podcast when she was on. It's like it really messes with your brain. <laughs> I yeah, think. 
I, I can totally imagine that. And I think, you know, a lot of people hear hybrid major glitches or really any kind of stuff with um, more glitches involved that a normal player might be used to. And they think the difficulty comes from the glitches. And of course, the difficulty also comes from the glitches. But I think the even more difficult part is how differently you have to think about the game and the logic compared to, you know, just playing a casual boot or an open 7-7 or something like that. Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with that 100%. But now, uh, let, let me let me cue this up. Uh, let me get the right button and we can hit the GMP community updates. Uh, actually, uh, crap, I didn't turn the keyboard on. Hang on. I got to wait for the thing to warm up. It's one of those old keyboards. Oh, really? It's got the old uh, the old tubes in them. Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Hang on. Here we go. All right. Uh, I think I did that right. So we're in the mentor tournament finals. Finals have hit. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. We've actually had a couple of restreams. A couple of matches, I think, um, are already on the book. So let's let's kind of break this down for you guys. Uh, in the gold sword bracket, we've got Mr. Aaron Snurd versus Pastor Tarami. I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, please forgive me. Uh, they have nothing <laughs> scheduled yet. I know they've been discussing scheduling. We're trying to make it where the matches, if possible, aren't on top of each other. So all uh, eight people here are kind of in a, a group chat so we can or a group channel. And that way we can kind of schedule it so we can get as many restreams for you guys as possible. Yeah. It's kind of been a fault, uh, you know, not so much of just like one individual person, but just we haven't had a lot of people have the time to do restreams for the tournament this year, which we, we hate. But it's always like, you know, if we can do it, great. If we can't, that's just unfortunately how it goes. Yeah, we're all volunteers. So, you know, there's plenty of stuff that can come up. We we were sad about not being able to restream more, but it's really nobody's fault. And uh, if you're super sad about not seeing more restreams, then how about stepping up as a restreamer? We can always need more help. Yeah, it's uh, we've had a couple people now. I got to do. I do have to shout out uh, Vex Topher uh, signed up to get the training from Amerith not too long ago and stepped up and did a couple of restreams um over the weekend to get some things going so shout outs to them mm -hmm. um moving on to the tempered bracket uh we've got nash Salter versus picks i think that's pick six on twitch uh they have all three of their games scheduled so mark your calendars uh game one is playing tonight uh at 9 p.m of this recording so by the time you hear this game <laughs> one's the game one's already gonna be done yeah. and you'll you, you might say well why didn't you tell me i'm sorry well we come out on wednesdays Sorry, uh, <laughs> but speaking of Wednesday, that's when game two is going to be for them. Uh, August 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so you will be able to either see the conclusion of that or it gets sent to an exciting game three, which will be August 20th, uh, two more days later. So on Friday at 10 p.m. in that late prime time for old people like me. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I can stay up and watch that one. That, that's that's real late for you, her. Yeah, that's going to be a toughie. I mean, you know, I probably can't catch any of these. Uh, anything past 6 p.m. EST or 7 at the latest is probably past my bath time at this point. Yeah, that's understandable. Mm -hmm. uh, her, if you want to tell us who's in the Master Sword bracket. Absolutely. So Master Sword bracket sees Rain Man versus Copybook Pizza 10. They also, unfortunately, have nothing scheduled yet. But as Dante was saying, we've got them all together in a big channel and a big huddle 
trying to figure out how and when to get all their matches in. And then uh, moving on from that, we're moving on to the fighter sword bracket that has Dakin, Dakin versus uh, Smirk JD. Uh, they do have two games scheduled already. Uh, the game one will be, well, tomorrow from this recording again. Sorry, <laughs> we can't travel into the past. So you will probably already know more than we do right now. It will be on uh, Sunday, the 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern. And uh, game two will be on the 19th, which is uh, wait, Thursday. Thursday, that's right. And also yeah, I have so it's to Tuesday and Thursday. Yes, I have to correct myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're usually we record on Saturday, but it's not Saturday right now. And if you can figure out from what I just said, what day it is, uh, tell me on the <laughs> discord. <laughs> I love it. That's a little riddle uh, for you. So good luck to our our finalists across the board. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And a big a big GG to everyone that has participated in the tournament. I think we'll we'll wrap up some stuff with our uh, like our big three year celebration show next next uh, episode, and it should be an awesome time. But speaking of our Twitch, I did want to plug this. This is just a little thing I noticed today. Um, we have obviously every time there's a mentor tournament, we, we try to have restreams and it uh, brings in a new group of folks that enjoy, you know, watching races, obviously, and participating mm -hmm. in them. So as of this recording, we are at 994 followers on our Twitch channel, which I think is kind of kind of wild considering how little we actually restream like in the grand scheme of things like we're no speed gaming or Zelda speed runs by any stretch. No, definitely not. And I mean, you know, 994, that's a lot of followers. That's more people than I can fit in my house. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's, that's how many alts some people in the community try to have, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry i had to go there um but yeah but jokes aside if you haven't followed please consider following us uh we, we'd love to see that number go over a thousand um i don't even know if temp's ever looked at that he probably has but this is literally a me dante request uh get us over a thousand and that way we can say we we hit a big old milestone when we hit that three-year episode yeah in, make that uh, a request weeks. as well I also want us to get over a thousand and then get my personal channel over a thousand followers and then get it to <laughs> over a thousand subs and then I can quit my job and just stream cool stuff all day. No, actually, Heck yeah, actually just get our uh, GMP channel over a thousand followers. That will be absolutely cool and amazing to have that for our uh, three year anniversary. Yeah, it'd be a pretty, pretty nice present from you guys. Mm -hmm. um, and lastly here for our gmp community updates the bi-weekly seed we played retrance it was uh, a hot mess i <laughs> didn't play it uh, i'm gonna be 100 percent honest mm -hmm. you know they say the the rule or the road to heck is completely uh paved with good intentions i said thursday all right i'm gonna play this and then i said friday all right i'm gonna set aside time to play this mm -hmm. and then Saturday rolled around and I said, you know what? I got time. I'll play this. Mm -hmm. And then I knew it. Then it was Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then today I was like, I'm actually going to do it. And then I played, <laughs> I, then I played ladder. So during work. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm not going to play it. Unfortunately, I did look through some of the spoilers here since I knew I wasn't going to play it. Um, so you've been warned. Apparently hammer was behind ice Armos or something. Oh, so, uh, great. Uh, good job to everyone who, 
lived through that. did that. Yeah. Sounds like a great yeah. seed. I forgot who suggested that last time. I have a feeling it might have been me. So uh, if it was, eat it, nerds. <laughs> oh, man, the mode's great. The mode. I mean, I love the mode. Um, and I'm sad that I just didn't actually put any time to do it. But that's what I get. But speaking of modes, I figure it's time. We've done retro two weeks in a row in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about a casual batuties uh for everybody to kind of a normal casual boots not a speed gaming live just Mm -hmm. a normal casual boots where you get a sword and a boots and 20 hearts what do you think Uh, i'm totally down with that i mean considering you know timson isn't here so you know the boss is out of the house it's a little bit more casual with us what better way to to make that official than with a casual boots bws perfect all right, let me figure out this weird-looking uh, blue square. Tim, Tim just like sent me this blue square, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to do with it. Um, but he said you'll understand when you press it in the center. Uh, hopefully, you don't get a quick version or a quick warp. And I was like, well, what's wrong with the quick warp? But apparently, it makes the the sound effect not play as long. So uh, let's uh, jump back into part two. Uh, with Fred Coughlin and Z1R. So uh, in the Link to the Past Randomizer community, we're we're super lucky that we have a ton of these different modes to try out. In fact, it's one of the things that I know their devs think about is like, okay, we actually have too many options. We kind of want to streamline a little bit, you know, in terms of how people generate on the website. Um, So looking at Z1R, what sort of modes are you able to offer with that kind of randomizer? You take what the uh, link to the past devs have, and probably up the uh, option, the uh, the customization piece there for regular modes like you know fifteen twenty fold at least. I've been having that same issue of okay, what can I do to try to oh, wow. reel this back in? Because I basically I always wanted to make people give people that flexibility. Sometimes maybe too much so. Sure. But there's a yeah. bunch of standard presets that you can pick. You know, some of which are based on old tournaments and stuff. And so um, there's a bunch of standard ones that we have in there. So there are modes like we did for the uh, 2019 main tournament that we had, which were based on our GDQ flags where we didn't do entrance shuffle. So there's a bunch of those ones that are in there that, you know, people can do. There are modes where you basically just randomize almost everything. There are, we call it random percent, but basically the equivalent of mystery modes Mm. where you can, uh, each of the presets can actually be toggled as to whether you know it's definitely on, definitely off, or uh, you know, who knows whether it's on or off. So you can create those types of things where maybe you say, okay, I want my caves to be shuffled, but I don't want to know what type of dungeons I have until, well, I'm playing the game and I walk into them. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of flexibility on that side. Your end game goal is usually get a try for it. You know, the game ends always when you get to Zelda, but there are basically a couple of options in there that basically say, well, do you even have to kill Ganon? Usually what happens is most of the time in competitive play, there's a flag check. So that way you have to, while you're in level nine, go find Ganon and kill him to get the Triforce of Power. Once you get that, then the door to Zelda's room will just open up when you walk into the room, even if there are enemies alive, which is something that normally uh, doesn't happen 
in Z1. Usually you usually have to kill all the enemies in a room to open the shutter. But that way you can just, once you've killed Ganon, you explore level nine and the door just opens up magically and you walk right past that Patra who's trying to kill you and there's Zelda right there and you win the game. There's also mm-hmm. options that can say, oh, Zelda, you know, you don't need to kill Ganon maybe. And so you can just walk into level nine and walk in three rooms and oh, look, there's Zelda sitting right there just having some tea waiting for you to uh, <laughs> to come in and save her, even though the door was wide open and she could have just walked right out of the dungeon in the first place. Um, there's also ways to lock the dungeon with different amounts, you know, similar to, I don't remember if Link to the Past did this one first or if I did. You know, if they, I know that we both had the ideas, I feel like similar timing-wise, of either of having reduced Triforces to open level nine. So maybe collect five Triforce pieces. Mm. That was actually the basis, I think, of our 20, was it 2018? The 2018 tournament was that you had to collect five Triforce pieces to open up level nine. And then you could go in and try to kill Ganon. But uh, there's a flag about whether or not you can have, you know, items logically block things in level nine or not. And so we turned the flag on that said, you know, the bow could be in level nine. And so one of the things you would have to debate as you were playing that was, okay, I just got my fifth Triforce piece, but I still don't have a bow. Mm-hmm. Do I go into level nine, try to explore and hope I find a bow? Do I go check these other dungeons that are now completely worthless, except for the fact that they have items in them? Do I, uh, you know, what do I do on that side of things? Yeah. Z1R doesn't really have the equivalent of like a pendant dungeon, right? Like you normally no. you have to do all of the dungeons. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that's interesting because I was thinking that's kind of similar to our reduced crystals, but it's actually more similar to just uh, the normal layout of ALTTPR because it potentially eliminates the need for you to go into certain dungeons, not entirely, but potentially. Yeah. And it's not specific. Okay. You have to get the Triforces out of one, two, four, and eight. It's yeah. just you get any five and it works. So it, it, it kind of can fall into reduced crystal. It's just that the pendants count as crystals, I guess, in that way. Yeah. When you're looking at that, we also have the, what's referred to as a Holy Grail setting where if you really want to, instead of needing to get one of the Triforces, uh, a certain number of Triforces to get into level nine, you might need to pick up just a random item somewhere. So hmm. it'd be the equivalent of saying, you know, when you walk up to Ganon's tower, if you have the hammer, it opens up and you can walk in. Hmm. So we've had things like that. Sometimes people will do that more as a, you know, that was not necessarily a racing mode necessarily, but it can be a, you know, you're just gonna have a little bit of fun. Okay. I just want to have a quicker mode. Now it's basically an item hunt. You don't care about finding those triforces even uh, unless you really need like a health refill or something. Literally, it's just, okay, let's go into dungeons. Go follow, you know, if you go into level nine, you get a hint from the old man that tells you what exact item you need to come in. And then you just have to go find that one item. And you can enter level nine. Now, whether or not you can actually get to Zelda at that point, who knows? Um, You can set the flag, you know, that's independent of the flag that says whether or not you have to kill Ganon. So, you know, you might have to go find the book to get into level nine, and then you still need the uh, bow and silver arrows to be able to kill Ganon. That's another thing that Z1 has, is that you have to have the silver arrows to kill Ganon right now. I haven't yet put anything into the code to say... You can use other weapons to finish off Ganon as well. So you always have to have those on like, you know, there's no sword spins like we can do in Link to the Past. Right. (laughs) So whenever you decide to add that, you you know, the next main tournament, they have to make sure that those, you know, silvers are no longer required uh, or even in the game. Uh, And and then you can just use that as the flag set. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Maybe, yeah, maybe we'll do great. that. <laughs> so with, with all these different flags and settings and possibilities that you have in the customization options, would you say there's like a Z1R standard mode? Not like the standard settings in AFTTPR, but more like, you know, the Open 777 is the most played mode in AFTTPR, I'd say, or the most, you know, widely known, whatever default. you want to call it, default. Default is a yeah. good name, yeah. Is, would yeah, you so, say there's something like that in Z1R as well? Yeah, I feel like the most commonly played flags, at least racing-wise, are variations on there's a flags there's a preset in the uh, in the dropdown in there called consternation, which is mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty much the common one. Which is you have to find all eight Triforce pieces. The entrances are still all the entrances are shuffled. Um, okay. on the overworld, so it's an entrance rando. You have to find all eight Triforce pieces, and you have to kill Ganon before you get to Zelda. And so that mode pretty much, you know, shuffles all the items. It also shuffles, you know, the the hearts that the bosses normally drop. Those are mixed in there as well, so you can have to clear some of those rooms um, in dungeons. That's probably the flag, I feel like, out of all the flags that are on that preset that will sometimes get turned off by other players. Sometimes they don't want to do as much of the combat um, to find items in the dungeons but yeah basically that one shuffles the the overworld and the shops like normal um it does a little bit i guess enemies it definitely does the enemizers of moving all the enemies around various places it can change the enemy hit points a little bit which is actually a nice thing to bring up for those players who are new i know a lot of veteran players don't recommend what i'm about to say but I tend mm -hmm. to view it like the first couple times, like if you're trying to get un get used to the exploration piece of Z1R, one of the options that you can do is you can actually set enemy and boss hit points to zero if you want to, which basically mm -hmm. means if you sneeze at them, they die pretty much. Interesting. So yeah. God knows. Yeah, it's essentially, yeah, essentially like that. I mean, you know, they can still damage you like crazy. You walk into a whisper room, they're still going to shoot you. Um, so you have to be ready for that. But, you know, in a case like that, you can walk in with no hit points, at least get a feel for okay you know this is what the rooms are like these are how these things are laid out uh you know this is how i explore the overworld try to find things and then you know quickly wean ideally quickly wean off of that back to normal hit points but at least that'll give you a chance to possibly like if if the, you're scared about the combat piece it gives you a piece to understand okay this is how we you know run around and do these things yeah um, in terms of that that makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. So the so it's kind of an entrance randomizer by default, which I think makes perfect sense, because like you said, there's not as many items that gate access. And I know like as a kid playing the original Zelda, one of the things that was so exciting is like, you know, stumbling into a dungeon. Um, how many different entrances are there that could be dungeons? It's not just like the dungeons are all shuffled, right? They could be any underground entrance. Yeah, pretty much any underground entrance. Um, it's ball, I don't remember the exact number. You think I would, but there's actually the two different quests actually have a different number of entrances on each one. So those of you who may not have, again, gone back to your NES days, there's a, you know, the essentially equivalent of DLC. Once you finished the game the first time and you saved your file, there was a second quest you could play through which had, you know, on the exact same, you know, NES cart, which had a bunch of the entrances were still the same, but most of the levels were in different locations. So you had to go find them. It had some harder stuff in it. Some of the enemies were harder. You know, oh, gee, we're going to introduce that you can walk through walls 
in very specific places as well. So they, they threw some nasty twists in there in second quest, but you know, totally the world, by the way, just oh, like, yeah. yeah, like w- there's a whole second game on top of this incredible first game, like at the time, just incredible. Oh yeah. And just as I said, especially back then where they suddenly introduce, okay, those skeleton enemies, which used to not be a big deal. They're shooting swords at you. The mm-hmm. little snake things that are slithering around level two. Uh, now they're super fast and they take a lot more damage than they used to in order to die. Oh, yeah. And then there's the infamous red bubbles, which say, oh, you, that sword you wanted to swing. You can't use it until you go find a blue bubble to walk into. And so many people would never see that, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, the wow. only reason you would run into that is just because the file name. I, I just wondered why they chose that. But, you know, you can actually access Second Quest if you choose Zelda as your name. And I'm just thinking to myself, well, if that's the name of the game, The Legend of Zelda, I feel like that's like a default name. Most kids are going to be like, well, if I'm going to pick a name. If I don't yeah. pick my own name, I'm going to pick the name of the game. I'm going to choose Zelda. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. surprise, you get the harder quest. Like, yeah, I'd always wondered about that as their choice, because <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> that if someone picks that there, then all yeah. of a sudden, surprise, you're not just starting the game brand new. You're playing the hard quest. <laughs> I, I wonder how many kids like, stumbled their way into the master quest like that. Yeah. Plus, exactly. And I mean, I'm not sure if you would know this with uh, Zelda one, unless you read the manual or whatever. Plus, you're you're feeding into the same old meme, you know, where you're naming Link Zelda. Yep. Which also makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Classic. Zelda's the yeah, best exactly. hero. <sighs> mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. this reminded me, uh, you know, speaking of second quest, it, it reminds me of something that uh, I've seen in uh, in a lot of the the tournament flag sets. So now uh, you have to forgive me because when I watch Z1 on speed gaming, I am unfortunately speed gaming chat. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know why the runners are doing what they're doing. <laughs> so I try not to ask dumb questions, but I sit there and wonder the dumb questions. Uh, well, I see. Feel free to ask them. I see the. This is the place. Uh, yeah, I see the no up plus a. Uh, what in the world is this up plus a? So, oh, I think I know the answer to that. You want to answer it? Go for I it. Wanna, if you want. I want to try. So there's there's a way. There's like a minor glitch you can do in Legend of Zelda where you screen wrap, and it's a common way to get around the game where you, uh, you know, say there's like a river. Instead of going left and trying to cross the river, maybe you can't. You go right and you hit like up and A at a certain time, and you screen wrap to the left side of the screen. Um, is that not, right? Not quite. No. Not quite. Oh, dang it. Okay, that was my shot? guess. Go for it. Yeah. All right. So on the NES Zelda, if you press up and A on the second controller, it gives you the save and quit screen, more or less, that you're used to from Link to the Past, Rando, or Link to the Past. And uh, if you play a no up and A category, you can't save and quit, basically. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Um, You know, as when they were running the vanilla game like as part of you know speed running that i think darkwing duck was one of the very first people to really push vanilla z1 and he just preferred the category where you don't die and you know an up a is essentially a death warp because it takes you back to the start of the dungeon if you do that in the middle of a dungeon so there's a couple of places in the game where that would actually save you time if you're doing it, but it's essentially the equivalent of dying. So like when you're in Vanilla Z1 and you get to the recorder room, if you grab the recorder, you have to trek all the way back through like three different rooms, dodge some dark nuts, potentially dodge some gibdos. And it's like a good 45 seconds walking. Whereas if you're just, you grab that recorder and you hit up a, 
you're back to the start of the dungeon. You just the only penalty is that you're at three hearts because that's what happens whenever you die and you start back up at the start of a dungeon. So some runners will play it with no up A just from that challenge of essentially I want to get one truly deathless run as part of playing that. And yeah. then there are runners who will use up A basically saying, I want to beat the game as fast as possible. I don't care about the death rate, essentially. Okay. And so the Tim brought the screen wrapping thing. Um, and my mind's jumping all over the place. So I apologize. <laughs> but so the good. screen wrapping thing, is it, is that like a, that's a commonly used technique or trick. We'll call it um, in the randomizer. Is that, or is that, is that a band technique or, cause I've, I've seen people no. using it before. So I wasn't sure how it, like what flags people allowed it. Yeah, there's nothing yet in the randomizer to specifically prevent those types of clips from happening. So there's two types of clips that you can do in the game. Really, it's the only, well, I guess they're probably the two major, you know, like glitches that people would think of. And so the screen wrap is basically, it's pixel perfect. So you have to be a specific amount of pixels away from the edge of the screen. Um, and then what you do is you do a one frame tap vertically. And for those who don't know, uh, Zelda one is on a grid system. So basically what ends up happening is if you try to like walk up, well, the game basically checks, Hey, are you on an X coordinate where you can actually walk up and down? And if you're not, then it tries to readjust you back to one of those X coordinates. So sometimes you'll see a runner, like if they're holding up, they'll slightly move to the side before they move up just to get back on the grid. And apparently there's a slight bug in the game checking code where if you do a one frame vertical tap when you're at the edge of the screen, it turns you around, but you're apparently just far enough wherever it is as part of that adjustment that it no longer checks the screen boundary. So then you end up, if you just keep walking to the right, now it doesn't do that boundary check and you walk around to the other side of the screen. So that's a pretty common trick. Again, it's used in the vanilla speed run a lot. Um, I think Darkwing was one of the first people who was able to figure out how to consistently do that on console. I know, you know, the Tacit used it a few times, but you know, Darkwing had really figured out how to do that. And of course, every if you talk to ten different Zelda runners, they're gonna have ten different techniques that they're gonna tell you about how to do that one frame tap in order <laughs> to, to go from one side to the other. If you're going from right to left, you have to do the one frame tap. If you're doing it from left to the right. You'll sometimes see the runners swing their sword. And mm -hmm. on the left side of the screen, there's actually two pixels, one where you have to do the one frame tap and one where you can buffer it using a sword swing. So you'll see a lot of runners be able to do that one a bit easier because if they end up on that pixel, you know, during the sword swing, you just have to hit up and let go, basically. So you're not it's not anywhere near as precise, but it doesn't work going the other way. You can only do the one frame tap on the left side, not on the right side. Hmm. Blame NES hitboxes where that's, you know the hitboxes tend to be quite a bit skewed because of the calculations that they did. It's so crazy just thinking about the the the, the I guess like the discovery of that. Like I I would love to have been the first person to have been like, hey, I just walked around the screen. How did I do that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you as a kid, I remember once like just the thing is, it's again just one of those complete accidental type things where like I'd end up in the HUD once. And I was like, how did I do? And then, of course, every single time I tried to reproduce it, I couldn't figure out what I did. I would just, you know, walk to the next screen. But there was just like one or once or twice where I just hit something just right, you know, just either was holding up and maybe just, you know, my finger just slightly twitched and hit that one frame to the side or something. And I just happened to be at that right pixel. And then I'd all of a sudden be up in the HUD walking around on top of my hearts. And I was like, what? 
Hmm. And, you know, as I said, I'm not, I know it just happened with that, but as I said, somehow Darkwing was able to figure out again from, I guess, seeing the task stuff that was happening and understand as people understood what it was to figure out how to actually reproducibly do that. And again, it's definitely not what Twin Galaxies used to use as their rule set. They won't allow tricks like that or block clipping which is a similar concept for the block clip. Uh, sometimes you'll see like a diamond staircase and a runner like basically walk up onto the block and walk through the block like it's kind of not there. It's the same concept. It's just that that one is also one that you can sword buffer. So that one ends up being much easier for players who you know, don't know the, uh, the game well and aren't necessarily good with one-frame tricks. Usually they can at least do the block clips reasonably well. But none of that stuff's actually required in Z1R. I make sure there's no... You're never logically required to do any of those clips. The logic might be a heck of a lot harder um, mm-hmm. you know, to get to something. Like a dig dogger could be blocking something, and you have to go get a recorder out of a room that has you know, some nasty bosses in it. But you know, technically, um, it's not required um, to do that. It just can end up saving time. I know some of our you know, top tournament runners still that I can think of actually amazing Ampharos is one who's, you know, as all of you know, from, you know, link to the past entrance dev stuff and all the other deep runs he's made in a lot of the tournaments. He doesn't do the screen scrolls in Z1R and was regularly a top finisher. So hmm. I can, I can say for certain you don't need to do it. It's a, it's a nice technique that can help, but it's definitely not something you need to do. That's comforting to hear that there's, you know, someone who's competitive that doesn't bother with it. Uh, so, you know, we're fortunate that you do play a fair amount of a length of the past randomizer. So you can kind of help us understand what like what's the difficulty? Is there like a, an ALTTPR glitch you could uh, equate it to in terms of difficulty to learn or pull off the screen wrap and, and the, maybe the block clip and maybe even others if there are? Um, I mean, I almost want to say with the screen wrap, uh, well, I was going to say, if some of the problem is some of my techniques that I would use are one, I don't necessarily use some of the same setups that a lot of other runners use. Um, I feel like, you know, in terms of the pixel perfect stuff, I mean, that's not going to be any different, like in terms of lining up on the right pixel, that's not going to be any different than, you know, setting up for a heropot because those you mm-hmm. have to be on a right pixel or even hammer yump. Um, those ones you end up being, on the right pixel um, to be able to do that. And of course, if you're on the wrong pixel, you you don't worry about, but with the grid system, you usually don't even have to worry about, you know, getting two coordinates, right? You only have to get or worry about one coordinate. So, you know, in terms of lining it up, it's essentially like that. And I mean, especially if you're doing either of those types of clips, if there's no enemies in the room, then right. you, know, you have as much time as you need to, to line it up. You know, obviously it can be different under pressure. If you have whizzerbs firing at you and you, need to get through in one shot to be able to do that. I mean, the one frame tap, I'm trying to think if there's any like links to the past rando, like one frame taps that I guess if you're doing a diver down, you technically do a one frame tap as part of that, essentially uh, once you jump in the water to move back. Yeah. I mean, just because it's at the edge of the screen, I'm thinking of fake flipper, you know, how yeah. that has to be at the very edge. Yeah, um, I guess that's a good that's a really good lineup, too. Yeah, you're right. Fake flipper would be a good one. Unfortunately, you can't use the bush line the bush trick to yeah. line yourself up. But yeah, if you're doing that, you could basically do a fake flipper just to get to the edge of the screen. And then, as I said, it's just a one frame tap, which, again, a flicking type motion. I usually take my right hand and move it over to the D-pad. I feel like the D-pad on the NES is a little bit stiffer than the Super Nintendo one. Yeah. And then just flick it a bit until I get, you know, link to turn around. But, um, yeah. And if you fail, I mean, you, you just walk through the screen, you have to go back. I mean, it's kind of a time, 
time loss there. It's a little bit of a time loss, but not necessarily too bad. As I said, it's where if you're not comfortable using it, you definitely don't have to use it. As I said, the block clip is easier because you get the sword buffer. So that one, you get a lot more time to be able to hit the button and let go. So basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, think of it as like, you know, changing your input while you've got Link doing a, a sword spin. You have probably close to that much time where you just have to hit the side button and let go while the sword's out. So like the block clips work really easily from that perspective because you have a wide window to be able to hit to get that input in and let go and not have to worry about it. So if you're interested in learning the block clips, that one's not too bad. You know, pixel, you have to get the right pixel when you're lining up on the block, but then you have plenty of time on the input while you're swinging your sword to go through. You can do it without swinging the sword. It's just that one has to be one frame tap. Hmm. The buffering makes yeah. it much easier. I, I remember watching um, a race. Of, it's been a while ago, probably years ago at this point, of uh, a couple Z1R runners and seeing them doing that you know, screen wrap and thinking, oh, that that seems hard. I, I probably couldn't do that or learn that. But I think, um, you know, it, for folks who are thinking about getting into Z1R, it's helpful to hear. Uh, it's basically like, you know, hair pot, fake flipper. It's, it's yeah. not impossible. Um, it's certainly something that, that you could learn how to do. And also, you don't actually have to learn how to do it if you don't want to it's totally you know possible for you to be fast without worrying about it yeah absolutely as i said it's like you know you know link to the past rando doesn't require any of those clips you don't have to do fake flippers you don't have to do all that type of stuff to finish through it's just that you know it can potentially save you some time in terms of being fast the the screen wraps is merely getting from point A to point B without having to walk through maybe some extra overworld screens. That's really all that one gains you. You know, the dungeon one is where you can essentially quote unquote sequence break. And that's just a case of, you know, as I said, you can at least buffer that one. So it's not a one frame tap. You just have to line, you know, mm -hmm. get that right line up and then swing your sword and you can get through. And again, just hope you don't get shot by enemies in the process. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, speaking of learning the tech for this game, I think that's this is maybe a good time to start talking about uh, how one gets into Z1R. Uh, and I, and I, I want to really kind of lay this out. Um, uh, so let's start with just the most basic, like, where do you go to even play it, download it, you know, open it up? Yeah, if you Google for uh, Zelda Randomizer, it's usually one of the first hits that comes up. It's a sites.google.com site. Um, I could try to remember the full URL. I can get it at some point. But yeah, we'll um, definitely yeah, we'll have a, a bevy of, of links in the description. To, to yeah, get I figured people that. But yeah, too. so, yeah. you know, you can go there. You can download it. It is Windows only. I apologize to those who are Linux users. We've had some people on Mac who've been able to like use Wine sometimes to be able to emulate it, but right now it is Windows only, mainly because as I was saying earlier, the generation process, a lot of that is basically the pick everything up and drop it, and in some cases, that can take a little while to run, especially if you're trying to do second quest with those spirals from level 7 and 8, apparently trying to generate dungeons that way is a pain in the tuchus, to put it politely. <laughs> and so... I always was looking for you know a programming language that was very optimized in terms of runtime, and you know C++ is what I grew up with, so that's kind of always been the language I've used. But you know it's a Windows executable you can download, install, and then run to generate your uh, your stuff. We do have a Discord uh, link will be below with that uh, to mm -hmm. be able where there's a ton of people who are always willing to help out, give out tips. You know there's seeds that people will put out there to try out. Sometimes people will put out seeds saying I need some help. I need to go through this and people will 
tend to watch, you know, watch what you're playing or play through themselves and say, oh, did you check such and such? And they'll be able to work with that. And, you know, there's also a bunch of trackers out there that people can use as they're playing to try to track things. I know that one of the most common ones is uh, was made by Quest Wizard. Um, Twitch.tv slash Quest Wizard, I think, is where you can uh, go to his uh, thing and then find the link to his uh, tracker. It's also, I think, available in the Z1R Discord. Um, okay. I also know Emo, uh, Emo Tracker has a couple of Z1R uh, packs that you can download and install as well. So beautiful. Those work out really nicely for being able to track things. And yeah, so uh, to talk more about kind of utilities resources, uh, so a tracker can definitely see how that can help, um, you know, for our ALTTPR audience. Um, are there any other kinds of like tools or even just like things to mentally track? Keep in mind while you're while you're playing through a seed. Um, well, if it's one of your first C, I mean, the nice thing about those trackers is that you can mark down on them. They give you like usually a map of the Zelda one overworld and clicking on each of the screens will mark what something is. So mm-hmm. you can mark, OK, this was a shop. So one of the key things to keep track of, especially for those newer players, is going to be to keep track of where certain key shops are. You might want to keep track of where like a couple of the potion shops are. There'll be a bunch of caves. Those of you who haven't played it before, there might be a bunch of caves where you walk into it first and there's just some NPC staring at you. They don't say anything. They're just staring at you. (laughs) And there's a letter called an item called the letter that you can find in some cave, which kind of looks like a map, but just with a different palette. If you walk into one of those shops where the guy stares, the person staring at you and you show them the map, well, all of a sudden now they're willing to to sell you potions. As I said, it was basically the old man who gives you the letter said, show this to the old woman or something like that when you do it in the vanilla game. And when you show her the mm-hmm. letter, she sells you potions. So knowing where those potion shops are can be very useful um, when you're playing. So that's one of the main things to track. Um, and it's very good to go through those. And again, you might not you don't necessarily have to track. OK, this cave was. You know, a door repair. This cave was a, you know, a, you know, a secret where the guy gave you money because, you know, most of the time it's a one and done. So you can just mark some of those off with X's so that way you know what you haven't checked. That way you don't leave loose squares hanging around. Okay. You know, there are certain spots that tend to be forgotten. There's one cave that's really a pain to get to if you can't screen scroll, uh, you know, in the game. And that's often referred to as the forgotten spot in the Z1 community because of the fact that, you know, as you're clearing through things, there's not an easy, natural way to hit that cave as part of your pathing. So, Hmm. you know, typically that's basically what I'd recommend is for that. Keep track of that for the dungeons. uh, If you're using one of the trackers, one of the usually... With the algorithms that I have in place, like if you're using the procedurally generated shapes dungeons, uh, usually the map is supposed to show up without having to do a lot of bombing. Usually, in theory, you shouldn't have to use any bombs as long as there's a drop available in those first couple of rooms. So if you're playing through, one of the things that you can might want to do, even if you have the map, is it has the capacity usually in those trackers to mark, you know, like the walls and the doors. Um, so that way, as you're going through the dungeon, you say, okay, I bomb a wall. Well, it's not there. You want to make sure if you're playing the tracker that you basically mark that wall as something, or if you can remember it, then you obviously you don't need to, to mark that in the tracker. But if you can't remember what you've bombed, then oftentimes using that will be useful because sometimes you may have to find a specific bomb wall in order to be able to advance 
through a dungeon. And so mm. tracking what you've bombed already so you don't waste resources rebombing things can sometimes help out. I mean, as I said, you know, it's not unfortunately it's not quite as clear as Link to the Past Rando where there were clearly cracks in the wall where you were supposed to bomb. Uh, they didn't exactly have that yet in Z1. Um, maybe I'll have to consider trying to add a tile for that or something, maybe as mm. an option to, to make things a little bit more friendly. Interesting, yeah. Um, so the just like playing Z1R, uh, I, playing ALTTPR, let's start there actually. When you first start the game, usually the first objective is I need to go around and start finding some items, dark world access, bomb, you know, bombs, dark world access, kind of in that order. Then you start to go get your crystals. It sounds like in Z1R, kind of your first objective is to locate all of the dungeons. That's kind of your first priority. Well, would usually, you agree? Or, but mostly. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would do typically is to go find the sword. So the sword okay. is actually guaranteed in Z1R, um, unless you check one specific flag, which is not a flag I'd necessarily recommend for beginners. But, you know, even then, it's not usually so bad. Sword's guaranteed that you can get to that cave without having to do any... Um, it's an open cave. You don't need to burn down a bush to get to it. You don't have to bomb a wall to get to it. That wood sword will be guaranteed somewhere in an open cave. You might have to walk a heck of a lot to get there, but there's you don't need to uh, you don't need to walk there. And for players who are just starting out, one of the options that you can choose is what your start screen is going to be. Normally, you start at the vanilla start screen or a random screen, but there is an option that can start you on whatever screen has the wood sword. Mm. So that can be a useful option again for someone who's just trying to get their feet wet. That way, at least you have a weapon right away. You know where that weapon's going to be. But if you don't have, if you don't play with that option, that's usually your first method. Cause then you can start killing enemies. You can get usually bombs off some of the bomb dropping enemies uh, to be able to then use those to open some things up. And then you can start usually doing more exploration. As I said, with the logic the way it is in Z1R, you're guaranteed that you never have to go into a dungeon without that sword, without that weapon, um, by logic. Gotcha. Okay, so try to find your sword somewhere. That's that's a great first recommendation for someone's first seed. Find the sword, and then and then you're kind of going around and looking to locate yeah. all of the dungeons. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. Are, are we still keeping our eye out for certain items? Is there like a go mode equivalent? I mean, the the go mode equivalent will typically be when you found all nine dungeons, which can sometimes be a while, so you don't necessarily mm-hmm. know that, and then. The main things, there are going to be a few items that will guarantee you. So you need to have bow and silvers if you have to kill Ganon. So let's pretend we're talking a seed where you have to kill Ganon. You definitely need to have bow and silvers. At that point, you know, you're kind of in that Schrodinger's go mode, as you refer to Mm -hmm. it. And the fact that you have the potential of doing everything else. You might need a recorder if either you have to get into a dungeon using the recorder or if you need to kill a dig dogger to advance in a dungeon, you might need the raft or the power bracelet to get into a dungeon. Yeah. Most common other item that you would probably need. You need it in most Zelda one seeds. Not always. It's kind of like the red cane equivalent is the ladder because Mm. I have had a number of seeds where I have gone through, I've done whatever it is. I get into level nine. I don't have the ladder. I managed to kill Ganon. I'm walking around and I say, oh, look, there's the door that opens. I walk into Zelda's room and she's on an island surrounded by water. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, I'm like, okay, you can't clip sucks. across that without the ladder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's I've a seen, real GT without the boots situation. Exactly, it's GT yeah. without the boots. You know, red without the red cane. One of those like rare situations where, you know, you can do everything else, but you need that though that ladder, and then you have to go run around and try to. Do. I think I actually remember in a random percent tournament, like semifinal, quarterfinal race a few years back, I was playing against uh, Jam Eviler in that tourney, and. We were we discovered we had an open level nines equivalent of open GT. So we walked in and we found the compass and found a room where there was a river in the way blocking the path over to Zelda. Like I actually walked into a room and there was a river on one side and Jam ended up winning just because he ran around the rest of the dungeon trying to find a very convoluted path to get to her. I left the dungeon to find the ladder. We finished about a minute apart in the end, but he mm. was able to find a very convoluted path to get to her. But that ladder sometimes is needed. Sometimes I feel like most of the time it's needed for something during the course of the game. But pretty much if you've got ladder, bow, and silvers when you enter level 9, usually you've got a pretty good chance of it essentially being go mode. If you there, if you have boss shuffle on, you might need the recorder in level nine as well. But pretty much if you've got those like four items, you're pretty much guaranteed once you're in nine to be able to do that. But a lot of times, you know, you declare go mode when you find that ninth dungeon, because usually you're wandering around the overworld like, okay, I've got eight dungeons here. Where's this ninth? Am I, do I need, you know, do I need those mitts to go open up the equivalent of uh of Ice Palace to check to see if the ninth dungeon's in there, things like that, that we've been seeing a lot of in the cross key tourneys. Like, okay, do I need the boots to open something it's similar in Zelda One? Do I need to find that power bracelet in order to be able to check a couple of the caves to try to find where level seven is, the one level I can't find yet? And once you do that, yeah. in theory, you can try to just uh, race some blitz to the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, that race that you had uh, where there was kind of two wildly different options and then you guys finished a, a minute apart, that must have felt like kind of a proud papa moment as the creator of the randomizer. Like that's that's the kind of thing that you hope for, right? Is that oh, like yeah. you, you create a, a puzzle with multiple solvable options that are both perfectly valid, you know, and that's kind of what that demonstrates. Oh, absolutely. And it's again, that's really is the kind of stuff I like. And, you know, admittedly, I'm biased because. <laughs> yeah, I've written Z1R, but it's one of the things I do like about Z1 a lot more than Link to the Past is the fact that level nine essentially can serve as that equalizer. The fact that you have to find Ganon and Zelda, they're in the dungeon somewhere, but it's a giant maze. You know, GT, I feel like, and again, I haven't looked at the stats on this, but I feel like, you know, 90% of the time, it almost feels like whoever goes into GT first wins mm -hmm. because, you know, there's only a couple of different paths you can really take through GT. As soon as you find the GT, it's the climb, it's the execution. You know, level nine and Z1 has a lot of that execution because it can have some really nasty enemies, but it's also a giant maze, essentially. And mm -hmm. finding that path through, I've been on both ends of it. I've been through the ends where I get lucky. I think in my first tournament that we did of this, I placed played against a player who at the time we didn't know his name was rc drone um and i was like okay and i was highly see i had a high a good seed he you know hadn't really raced before so we seeded that tournament and he ended up in one of the lower seeds because we didn't have much info on him he beat me into level nine but he took a different path to ganon and i ended up going faster and well he's held world record in z1 since then he has i believe won a couple of these tournaments he's always in the top like four 
on these tournaments, you know, we didn't just didn't know them at the time, but you know, it really can come down to that. And I've also been on the other cases where I take that wrong turn in level nine and my GDQ race against Jamie Vler. Actually, I found Ganon first. He found Zelda first and I got lost trying to find where Zelda was and he found Ganon. So, you know, it, it can go both ways. And it's, as I said, it's for me, it's a lot of the fun. It's just that it's a puzzle essentially. And I love to you know solve those puzzles and figure out, okay, what do we need to do to get to the end? Where is the end of this maze? Sometimes yeah. there's a lot of paths. Sometimes there's only one. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. And I think like, that's why we're all here, you know, uh, a link to the past randomizer absolutely does that. Um, I, I love, you know, that more and more games are getting randomizers and, you know, recreating the sense of, you know, discovery and wonder. I think that we all had, especially those of us who are maybe of a certain age that remember playing <laughs> Zelda, you know, as a kid when it, when it was new and you had to like go to the video game store and buy a map and like use that to kind of figure out what's going on. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah. All that yeah. Nintendo power. That was kind <laughs> yeah. of the way I got through most of those types of games in the early going. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I just uh, remembered another question I had uh, in terms of time commitment. Uh, what is kind of an average? What's a, uh, you know, when, when you're doing your first seed, kind of how long can you expect that to be? And then once you get good, like where, what, how long is the average seed take to be? Yeah. Um, I mean, the first couple of seeds for players can sometimes take, you know, a couple of hours. Obviously, it depends on the flag set that you pick, but you know, maybe like two, three hours. Again, it depends on your level of comfort with the combat. Again, depending on whether or not you decide to do the one hit uh, knockout enemies or whether you're, uh, you know, doing other stuff like that. I feel like the exploration wise, you know, probably that's a good amount for starting things as time goes on. It does get a bit shorter. Uh Obviously, it depends on what flag sets you're looking at um, in terms of what you need to do. But most of the time, I feel like the top races tend to be hour to hour and a half, sometimes even sub hour, depending on what the flag set ends up being. A lot of okay. times when I'm racing through uh, towards the end of these races, it just comes down to that wandering through level nine. I'll be in level nine sometimes around the 45, 50 minute mark. And then sometimes it'll be a sub hour. Sometimes it'll be much later than that. Gotcha. I uh, I want to backtrack because uh, I, I can't remember exactly when this came up, but you talking about that NPC that just kind of stares at you until I think you yep. said you had uh, a specific Bring item. The letter. To, yeah, the letter. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, this is what kind of put it in my head. Um, you mentioned very early on about some headaches with the Book of Doom. Can, can you backtrack, I guess, a little bit and kind of tell us a little bit about this Book of Doom? Okay, so the book is an item in Vanilla Z1 that um, is meant to help you. You find it in a late dungeon, and the idea the idea is cool. The idea is that it makes your magic wand that you had picked up a couple of dungeons earlier, now when it hits an enemy, leave fire. With the great idea, okay, it's going to cause more damage because, you know, incidental contact from the fire. What it ends up doing is it ends up typically that fire is just like regular candle fire where you can walk into it and hurt yourself and it burns. It doesn't do much extra damage to the enemies. And so more often than not, especially if you're in a situation where you're wanting to use that wand because the wand itself, like the blade basically does white sword damage to the enemies. So essentially the equivalent master sword, I guess for link to the past, it's a lot stronger than 
you know, your wooden fighter sword. So you want to be using that, but now you're in close contact with those enemies and you swing that wand and all of a sudden now there's fire all around you as you're trying to fight enemies and you can't really move <laughs> and pretty much leads to a lot of pain. So <laughs> one of the things, you know, it's a painful item. But one of the things that, you know, people have always said is, well, what can we do to make, and it's a question I really like to do, what can we do to make some of these items more useful? I remember, you know, Jamie Evler comes up a lot just because, you know, he's been involved a lot with these communities. But he at one point said, Fred, what if that wasn't a fire? What if that was a bomb explosion? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Then I coded it up. It's, we've now referred to it as the boomstick. Because oh, okay. it's extremely overpowered when you do that. Because now, okay, I walk into a room, swing my wand three, three or four times, and now I've checked every single wall for a bomb upgrade, you know, bomb explosion. If I swing and fire that wand shot and it hits an enemy, well, now there's a bomb explosion that's happened there, and any enemy that was near it now gets hit by a bomb instead of, you know, just standing there. Yeah. It's very powerful. So that's why on that mode right now, we make it so that way a person has to buy the book. In order to do that, when we make the book pretty darn expensive, uh, you know, rupees are capped at two fifty five in Z one, and the books usually cost about two hundred in a shop. So we make it kind of hard to get when you're in that mode, just because it is incredibly powerful. But you know, it's similar to the idea of making maps useful in Link to the Past Rando, where if yeah. you're in a map and you're in a uh, uh, map compass shuffle mode, the map actually tells you something. That's where, I mean, mm-hmm. that's where the shapes, the procedurally generated shapes partly came from was, you know, compass was useful right away because, well, you want to find out where that Triforce is. You pick up the compass, it tells you where the Triforce is. So in, uh, when you don't know what rooms the items are in, that's a great useful tool. But the map was yeah. so useless and most runners would just walk right by it because, okay, I know what shape this is. This is a vanilla Z1 level six. I know what it's shaped like. That was also a barrier for new players who said... I don't know these dungeons. These other players know exactly what the dungeons look like. I can't compete against them without the map of the dungeon, and that's going to take time up. And I remember having at least a couple of people give that type of feedback of when we had these procedurally generated shapes, that was a nice equalizer in a way because you don't have to have that knowledge of the vanilla game in order to be able to start exploring the dungeon. Like You don't know, okay, we're all on equal footing. You know, I don't know if I can just bomb that north wall. It turns out, you know, not in the vanilla game because there's no room there. But if the map's different, you don't know. And that made the map useful by, Hmm. you know, actually creating a brand new dungeon. When you pick that up, you could see everything. And then people had made other suggestions about that book. Again, with how worthless it still felt, it was either broken in the case of having the boomstick or worthless if it was just a regular fire. And so we've had a couple of other options that have been associated with that. So one is having the book be an atlas. So that way, when you pick it up, you now have the maps for all dungeons. Mm. So then you walk into, you know, at that point then it's okay, well, do I pick up this book? But, you know, I have the wand, which I've been using, but now when I walk into level four, I'm going to know exactly what level four looks like. So I don't have to be blindly bombing in certain places. I know what I'm looking for. And then the other, <laughs> yeah. So again, it's always meant to try to, the things I like to do is make people have those, like, which decision do I make scenarios yeah. of like, you know, is this going to be uh, something that's going to help me out? Is this something that's not going to help me out? You know, the other yeah, thing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Sorry, I no. didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. Oh, the 
I think the decision making is, is a key element that keeps coming up over and over again with a link to the past randomizer and um, certainly with with other randomizers and this one too, uh, forcing the player to make choices without having all of the information ahead of time. Oh, yeah. Is kind of what generates the fun of these. Yeah. Where where do you yeah. go? I just got, you know, you goes go link to the past rando. I just got that fire rod. Uh, do I make that dive into uh, Ice Palace right now? Do I go over to Skull Woods? You know, you don't have that information sometimes about where to go with it. And so, you know, again, you don't know what your equipment's going to be like until you get there. You don't know what it's going to be. You know, in the case of the book being an atlas here in Z1, well, if I found all the dungeons anyway, I probably don't need to pick it up. If I, you know, if I'm basically near the end of the game, if I get it early, I probably do. If I get it in the middle, well, now it's kind of a, you know, what's going to be that that case for me? And so different things like that, you know, having to make those decisions, you know, do I go hunting, you know, in Link to the Past, do I go hunting for another sword? You know, I'm at at Tempered. I'm not Tempered. I'm at Fighter, a Master Sword. So I can beat the game, but that Ganon fight is a pain in the tuchus. Right. You know, do can I do yeah. I go out of my way hunting for a few more chests in GT on the way up just to see if I can get that uh, tempered sword and then you know Ganon becomes trivial. All that stuff. That's I be was, fun. yeah, I was talking to two friends who are not familiar with ALTTPR literally yesterday and used that exact same example because I was trying to pitch them. <laughs> I'm trying to get them to play the tabletop game of ALTTPR that I made up. Oh, which, nice. Yeah, it's just it's the same thing as playing through a seed. You just do dice rolls whenever there's execution stuff. So I'm trying to like explain the game and catch them up on like you know how to play through a seed without actually playing through one. And I use that exact example of like you know uh, you could you could go with the master sword but it's going to be really hard and or you could look at some more chests and it takes more time but it'll be easier you know that's a perfect example of the weighing of options that makes randomizers like these so fun i think oh absolutely and then you know the thing depending on the game you've got all those different things i mean even in z1r in that scenario you know there's a white sword there's a magical sword which you can get if you have enough hearts but you can beat the game with fighter sword Actually, you don't need it. So this isn't, you know, it's it's not like Link to the Past where you need to have that Master Sword to at least do damage again. You can use the Fighter Sword against Ganon. It's just that you have to do 16, 15 hits to be able to kill Ganon with the Fighter Sword. So if you're good top level and you can get that stun lock on him, yeah, you probably can pull it off. But it's, you know, a, a painful fight, especially considering the fact that, you know, a, Ganon, a hug from Ganon there costs you four hearts at least. So it can be mm-hmm. a tough fight to do. Yeah. Um, so I think we've uh, I think we've pretty thoroughly discussed Z1R and F Coughlin. I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you being here. Uh, we all do. And, and thank you for, um, you know, just being so open and laying all of that out for us. Uh, we do have a little bit of time left. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about another project that you work on, which is Super Mario Brothers 3 Randomizer. Um, this is another randomized classic Nintendo classic randomized uh, game that you have uh, figured out. Can you tell us a little bit about SMB3R? Yeah, so SMB3R happens to be another one of the randomizers out there. It's got another really awesome community associated with it, but it lets you um, do a lot of the shuffling that you would normally expect out of a randomizer. So when you are on a world, you might not know what world order you're going through. So you could start at level uh, world four or world six. It can shuffle that up. It can shuffle what stages are where. So you think you're going into the fort in world one and all of a sudden you have, oh, the, you know, the coin fort from world seven or 
well, the, the evil plant fort of doom that no one wants to ever think about from World 7. Mm. We can shuffle that all up, uh, shuffle up what stages are where, shuffle up what power-ups you find in stages. More importantly, shuffle up what enemies are in what stages, which leads to a lot of fun when you are now trying to get through a level and you've got a boss bass chasing you, trying to eat you every step of the way as you're running through that level it it can be painful (laughs) that's an understatement but it's definitely a lot of fun on that side of things so you know basically mixes up the game similar to uh some of these other randomizers i'll mix up you know what levels are appearing where what locks are appearing where so on world maps where you have uh let's say like world six which i think has three fortresses in it you'll see a key door you know, as you're walking through the overworld trying to get to the castle to beat that, you don't know which fort you have to break beat in order to break that lock. So you can potentially have to make those types of decisions or, you know, World 7, which is the pipe maze that many people might remember from when they were playing casually as a kid of trying to figure out how to get through that. All the pipes get randomized. So mm-hmm. navigating even the overworld can be a little bit tricky in terms of trying to figure out how to best get from... You know, from the start over to the castle, so that way you can get through. Some worlds end up being a lot quicker than they would be in vanilla. Some worlds end up being a bit longer as you try to to hunt through everything there. But it's definitely so you be a mentioned. Lot of fun. You mentioned that one of those giant fish can show up on pretty much any level. Uh, can the sun? Can the angry sun show up on any level? The angry sun can show up on most levels. Uh, I have to actually. I think I'm going to be putting an update out. You know, later this. Uh, Later, or maybe not the, later this summer, I'll have to see if it ends up slipping into the fall or not. But I know there's been someone in our – some members of the community have been very active hacking. Uh, Macobra, uh 52 I believe, has been one of those people who's been doing that. He's actually made a hack where the sun can actually start earlier. Then normally mm. it's a fixed distance into the stage where the sun starts. And for some stages, that ends up being at the end of the level pretty much mm-hmm. because some of those stages are shorter than others. So um, I'm probably going to be incorporating – his little uh, code that he's done there to let that sun start up much earlier. So that way you actually have to deal with the sun swooping through, you know, some of those regular levels as you're working with them. That's a really anxiety inducing game, isn't it? I'm just sitting here thinking about Super Mario Brothers three and I'm like how stressed I'm just like stressed out thinking about this game. Sometimes the randomized version must be hard, right? Sometimes it can be nice, but yes, there can be some places where it gets hard. I, you know, I've played in some of these, tournament stuff i'm not very good at smb3 um in general so a lot more of the times when i'm playing through i'm playing it through as a casual ish type of play like trying to go fast but not with any speed run strats and yeah that can be painful there some of the uh like there's the one fort in level in world seven towards the end normally where it's got a whole bunch of pipes and a lot of piranhas drawing that one very early in the game and can make you want to pull your hair out. SG Live 2019, when we were in person, I drew that one early in a race and I had to basically hard reset the console so that way I could go back into a level and try to get uh, a power up to try to tank my way through that level because it was just a giant roadblock. A couple of those levels can be nasty. I've tried to do some stuff to try to minimize uh, you know, some of the pain. So Mm -hmm. like certain things that are virtually unbeatable or, oh, look, there's an enemy that's not moving, standing right in front of a pipe you have to go through. I try to do things to prevent that. You know, sometimes stuff seems to still slip through the ranks and I'm, you know, actively always trying to say, okay, if there's something impossible, trying to block it so that way it can't happen. 
anymore. Uh, things like that can sometimes pop up, but you know, trying to at least keep it a little bit fair. You know, when p- players give feedback, okay, there's a bug here because there's too many sprites on the screen. So uh, one of these fireballs is turning invisible, but well, you're getting hit with it mm. because it's still there. It's just you can't see it. Then try to adjust things that way. There aren't as many invisible enemies popping up. You know, I don't want to be to be completely unfair when I do it. I like to have surprises, but I don't want to have to be completely, uh, you know, broken or a really bad play experience if I can avoid it. Yeah. Invisible fireball, not, not the kind of surprise you maybe want to you no. know encounter when you're playing a game. Um, but you, that seems like a really uh, easy example of like, okay, obviously, you know, someone tells me about that. There's invisible fireballs. We want to get rid of that. Is there ever a challenge of, you know, cause you want it to be difficult, right? Like one of the fun things about a link to the past randomizer, and I almost want to put fun in like air quotes oh, yeah. <laughs> is that like, sometimes it'll give you a seed. That's just truly cursed. Yeah. Like an absolute awful, terrible, very difficult seed, but that's fun because that's kind of, it becomes infamous and legendary in a way. Uh, so you don't want to completely eliminate the possibility of something like that happening in another randomizer, but you also don't want invisible fireballs. Yeah. So, what is was it like trying to like balance that? Well, as I said, that one usually it's not too bad. Like you know, most of the time, at least the, the players in the community are very good at you know giving back that feedback when something isn't working well. But you know, usually I try to usually I try to give it as much of the freedom as we can. But you know, there there can be some places where there's just certain spots where naturally in the game, if you were playing vanilla, well, you're running through, and oh look. You know, here's a bottleneck and now having a whole bunch of enemies show up there. I know there's some of the pipe levels, for example, where like you're going up and down pipes. And sometimes that enemy at the bottom of a pipe can be sitting there ready to hurt you. And so there are times where I will ma- I've purposely not randomize like a Koopa that's normally somewhere. So that way, if you have to, you can at least take a Koopa shell down with you and have a chance mm. to hit that enemy um to try to stop them like one of the cases i've seen on that one is you know the boss bass fish swimming back and forth on that bottom row you go up to the top part you go through that pipe you drop down and the boss bass is right down there hungry and pretty much if you don't jump right away you get eaten and so something like that just seems like that can be a little bit unfair so as i said when those types of situations could come up either preventing that from happening with the fish or you know at least giving a weapon so you have a a fighting chance before you die horribly and you might take a quite a few <laughs> tries to get through uh but at least i try to leave that and you know if it's something that comes up and a lot of people say you know what this is not a good idea then you know i take that feedback and try to adjust it appropriately and if it's you know there were things like i remember you know going back to z1r for a minute when i was trying to shuffle enemies so that way they could appear and dungeon enemies could appear on the overworld and vice versa there were the ever so fun p hats the little flying around creatures that you know, on the overworld normally that you can't hurt until they stop. Yeah. We put those in dungeons and that was probably the most negative feedback I've ever gotten for (laughs) a thing because the players like these things don't stop. And it's not like it's player one gets it to, you know, it's not like we can control the randomization. So that way they stop at a fixed amount of time without massive hacking. So they'd be like, well, this is completely unfair. It just comes down to a coin flip because if it stops for me and 20 seconds later, it stops for the other person. That's not, fair either so you know as i said that was probably the most negative feedback i got but you know i've had some stages where the boss bass people saying yep nope can't be in this stage because 
it does this, or it can't be in, or, you know, or I've discovered other cases. Oh, boss pass can't be in this stage because it despawns platform that you kind of need mm. in order to be able to get through the rest of the stage. Oh, wow. Because yeah, like that auto scroller five, nine that everyone remembers. It's the diagonal scroller. Pretty much. That's all I need to say. And most people who have played uh, uh-huh. SME three, you'll remember that. Um, yeah. I think active moving objects are in like the same general area of memory as enemies. So if you've got too many enemies there and you know, those floating platforms are there, well then when it goes to spawn something and says I'm full, it says, nope, I'm not going to spawn that. And so you just sit there and there's no platform and you either have to P-wing or you can't beat the stage. So we discovered early on that one that there were only a couple of possible uh, enemy sets that could be used on that painful stage. Who knew, you know, like <laughs> yeah. who, who saw that one coming? I, I didn't because, as I said, it was just like, <laughs> OK, yep, uh, you give me more reason to hate that one. But, yeah, so that one's mm-hmm. been a lot of fun doing that and also mixing in because apparently there were some like beta levels that the designers had started working on. And then for whatever reason, either they made a change to it that mm-hmm. you know, are still in the game's memory. There's like 15 of them if you're using like one of the level editors that you know that are in there i mean a couple of them are complete garbage there's one that's like literally you fall into a dungeon thing here's one of the big blocks that you hit to uh, get a tanuki suit and you go out a pipe and it's done i'm like okay (laughs) that one we're not going to include but there's some levels that are like early versions they feel like of levels that ended up in the game but they're Mm -hmm. fully playable so i've included the capability of adding those ones in there there's actually a couple of those lost levels that there's one of them, I, two of them, I think that I really like. They're like ice levels. One of which, you know, didn't really have that much of an equivalent because I don't remember any ice water levels. And then there's the infamous auto scroller known as Atlantis nowadays, which most players scream at and want to, you know, they'll typically take a uh, a death so that way they don't have to play that stage if they can. But it's a <laughs> long auto scroller, but does some water stuff, does some stuff on ice on top. It was actually, I thought it was a really cool level. I can understand why racers hate it because as I said, just from the amount of time it takes you to go through that level, it's a pain, but it's water, <laughs> ice, auto scroller. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a unique combination that really you didn't see. And yes, I've added an option that removes most of the auto scrollers, but that level is completely cheesable if I remove the auto scroller. So I ha- I, I'm considering adding that one to my list of, op- of levels where we actually took the auto scrollers out, but I have to redesign pieces of the level to make sure that you can't just cheese a couple of the sections and you'd actually have to play through it. Mm. Yeah, that that's so cool. It's uh, incredible to me that there's whole levels that are on the, in the cart that just don't get used otherwise that you can now kind of bring to the light and shuffle in just like they were always there to begin with. That's super cool. Yeah, it was a really fun discovery, as I said, when we got pointed out that those existed and I looked through and some of them, as I said, some of them were just complete garbage. Some of them didn't actually have endings. So I think I had like one of them I had to redirect a pipe to a different section. There was one where I had to move one of the pipes around because it was very easy to pull off the, uh, those of you who have seen the glitched SMB3, like the four minute speed run, that that version where you could accidentally trigger that glitch just trying to walk into that pipe because of where they had placed the pipe. And so, you know, obviously at that point, most of the time it was a hard lock the game 
if you did that, <laughs> but it was very easy to hit that with where the pipe was. So I had to like relocate that. So I've had to make some minor modifications. There was one of those levels where you get to the end and you got the platform where you're running along and then you get to the black screen and there's the, uh, the flashing card thing. And apparently the black screen ate off the top row of the platform you were running on, which caused you to fall to your doom. <laughs> so yeah disappearing platforms seems to be a, yeah. a running theme yeah, yeah. Much. just like the floor dropped out apparently it looked like the floor was there but apparently with the black screen it was just enough that it ate off whatever that top piece was in memory and you just you're running you're running you're running and it's wily e. coyote you just run a tiny bit and then drop and mm. so i had to fix some of those minor things but as i said we've got like eight or nine of those in the randomizer that can work into the mix. So I found that part to be a lot of fun on that side, you know, just getting to put some of that cool stuff back into the game. Yeah. So for folks that want to check this one out, uh, is it kind of the same thing like Google super Mario brothers through randomizer and you should kind of be on your way. Yep. That'd be the top, that'd be the top hit there to be able to do that. You know, there's a discord for that, for that one as that community as well, that people can join. They do pretty regular racing of that as well. They've been having their tournaments each year. They had a, uh, this had their big tournament back um, a couple of months ago, but I know uh, both Z1 and SMB3, I think are going to be having enough funding to probably be in SG live as well coming up Ooh, in a couple of months. Awesome. So both of those should be having uh, tournaments as well. And those can be a lot of fun. Uh, as I said, you know, both the Z1, but also SMB3, you get to see some really high level. I was lucky enough at 2019 to be there and getting to call the final race that ended up happening. And, you know, pretty much every single, I want to say every single to the chagrin of the organizers of SGL who were trying to keep things on a quasi regular schedule, <laughs> every single, uh, televised match that was in like the later part of the bracket, like the semifinals and finals for, uh, SMB three went the length. Mm. Every single one of them. I seem to remember that <laughs> happening. That like that side of the tournament was running running kind of long. Yeah, well, I was gonna say there were a few of those that were going on. That one ended up running the length. I know the Z one R's. Uh, most of those ended up going best of three. We went really late that night. Uh, mm. I was gonna say I think you know the, the final game of that the finals there ended up wrapping at like three thirty a.m. In the end, just oh, because wow. well, we were hoping it would finish in two and it didn't end up finishing in two. So uh, it was wow. a that was a long night. But yeah, so as I said, SMB three ended up, you know, again, and not through any fault of the runners because they were they both played phenomenally. I mean, I feel like some of those seeds were around 30 minutes, which is incredibly top tier time for SMB three. It just ended up being that, you know, they we're splitting the series because they were so evenly matched. And, you know, in some of those cases, it came down to, as I said, that, that branching in world eight is similar to similar to what I was talking about in Z1R, where basically it's kind of like a maze when you shuffle the pipes up, that can make it a little bit harder to find things through. And also there are a number of flags that exist in uh, SMB three rando to try to make things a little bit more fun. Like one of the options is to allow hammers to be a little stronger than the regular game. Normally, Use the hammers to break a couple of rocks and then poof, you're done. Well, some people wanted to make the extra step and say, well, what about the hammers breaking like those big locks that you used to beat forts? So you can essentially use it to sequence break mm. an overworld. And so some people will use those as part of the flags. And I always liked that. But then level eight felt completely cheesable because you save up a couple of hammers throughout the game. You get to level eight. You take the pipes until you find Bowser's castle. Look, there's a couple of locks there. Hammer, hammer, go straight to Bowser. So I mean... <laughs> 
I'm very mean. And what I end up doing is <laughs> instead of making the anything that appears on Bowser's screen a lock now, I make it a river that you have to build a bridge to get across. And the only way to build the bridge is to beat the fort that uh, gives you the orb from the uh, boom boom that will create that bridge. So there can be locks in level eight and you can still use the hammer to break those. But to get to Bowser's castle, you're probably going to have to build a bridge or two. And so I'm very mean like that because I'm just like, I want to see a little bit more interesting level eights rather than just go through a couple of pipes, hammer, hammer, done. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like we were saying before, you know, uh, giving giving them more options for choices. Exactly. Yeah. It it makes interesting situations come about. And then it's which, you know, which castle do I have to go into in order to get that right lock to uh, then go back? Sometimes you can actually logic out based on what you've seen. Okay, if I go into this castle, it really has to be this lock. And once in a great while, you can even get the case, uh, those of you who have played the game before, the very first fort you run into in World 1. If you remember, you can fly up normally and get a whistle in that yep. case. That fort can get shuffled anywhere, but I have to keep in mind for the logic, There's yes, there's actually logic I have to follow <laughs> in this, which you wouldn't think there's a lot of, but this is one piece where I have to keep in track of that. You can fly up and pick up that, that whistle, and if you do, you beat the level, but you don't get the orb. Mm. which means that that lock can you have to treat that lock whatever lock is associated with that level as a permanent lock that will never open so you have mm. to actually like logically i have because you know when you beat a, if you die game over and you go back to start of the world the forts stay beaten so you have to actually treat that level essentially logically that lock is a permanent wall wherever it ends up so players can quote unquote sequence break by beating the dungeon the intended way, but they never actual that lock will never actually be required to break as part of whatever pathing you do to beat the level. So you can potentially sometimes even infer based on seeing that, you know, what locks are where and what you have to do to beat them to beat the world. So there can be a lot of logic involved. Oh, wow. That's so much That's more cool. I, in depth than yeah. like, I like honestly just kind of looking at SMB three, uh, you know, restreams uh, like i had no idea that you know so much like i guess with the logic and everything has gone into this because it's like it's mario how much can you randomize it well yeah. you know what can be done really it's just you just play through it and stuff's shuffled a little bit but that's actually it's kind of mind-blowing mm-hmm. i mean i'm honestly really you is. don't always have to think about that you can just go into the levels and beat them and then Boom, you're done. But sometimes you'll have, again, sometimes, and that's where some of those top players might be able to perceive if they can see, okay, logically, you know, this fort had to be here or something like that based on what you're seeing. You can sometimes maybe make an educated guess about which fort is more likely to be the one you need to unlock as part of playing through. You see players, you know, the infamous end game, those of you who might have played that, like when you get every 80,000 points, it would show up on a previous level and you could play like a, a memory game. There are people who will go through that, who used to um, do that when that's in the, uh, when that's in the flag pool and have tried to come up with algorithms to figure out how quickly to be able to match all the cards so that way they could get the prizes associated with that. Because if you get a hammer suit that potentially is a free, a very fast free Bowser fight compared to other levels, or, you know, if you pick up a couple of clouds, well, now you can skip some levels. 
So that type of balance sometimes can really be in there as well because you don't know what the prizes are for the game until after you've completed the game and you get whatever matches into your inventory. So, mm-hmm. you know, do you sink the time into playing that game with the hopes of picking up some good items and then possibly getting a dud if you don't? Or do you just skip that game completely, you know, not worry about the items that you would get out of it and hope that you gain time over your opponent by doing that? Another one of those decision things that you can you can go through. Well, I really like the idea of kind of ending this entire conversation uh, again, mentioning STL, because like you said, um, at the upcoming STL 2021, there's a very good chance, very strong chance that you'll be able to see both Zelda one randomizer and Super Mario Brothers three randomizer uh, in tournament uh, races, you know, back and forth between community members. Um, so definitely we'll put links in the description for you to, uh, you know, look at that schedule and also, uh, you know, like, uh, F Coughlin said, just kind of Googling the names of these, it sounds like is going to be a pretty great way to get started in both downloading seeds, um, and, you know, tips for, if you get stuck of discords, of course, as we already know in our community are a great resource too. So we'll put links to those in the description. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll wrap up this, uh, two part, uh, two part feature F Coughlin. Thank you again so much for being on and, and sharing all this knowledge with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a ton of fun. Oh man, that, that was the weirdest bird I've ever seen. What was that? Um, that was kind of scary. I mean, I just learned how to play that thing today and mm. I, I don't think I did it right, but that bird was huge. Like, yeah. I don't think he could fit on, on a SNES ROM, but that don't attempt. I'm giving you this ocarina back. Like it's all you next time. Yeah. I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad we at least got where we wanted to be, which is our final segment after this wonderful interview and a little bit of history with Fred uh, about Z1R and also a little side note about uh, SMB3R, which he is also responsible for. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Anyways, uh, to wrap up the, our episode here, uh, first and foremost, fetch questions as per usual. And this time, you know, Tim's not here. And finally, we get a fetch question. Imagine that. I'm sure he's going to be <laughs> mad about that. But uh, lo and behold, we did get a fetch question from Matt Simon, who writes in and says, hey, all after coming to the podcast late, I'm finally all caught up and have listened to every episode. To celebrate, I'm sending in a fetch question, which I encourage everyone to do, by the way. I'm also wondering, while we're here, uh, at which point you came in. Which episode was the one where you first started listening and then you decided, hey, I'm going back to the beginning. Anyways, he writes further. I love ALTTPR for the puzzle. Link to the Past is a top three favorite game of all time, and I love seeing it reassembled in a new way. Following the new logic of each seed and optimizing routing is my favorite part of playing and watching. I really don't have interest in glitches that break the logic, especially those that invoke performing an action you would never attempt in the base game. Has there ever been any talk within the community of a totally glitchless tournament or one with no logic breaking? So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Dante. What do you think about this? Uh, well, so I'll say there is a racing rule set unless unless Synac deleted it on the main discord. You could ping. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's called accessibility and uh, that kind of has like everything removed as far as glitches. Um, mm-hmm. And it's meant to be you have to follow the logic. I personally don't 
like that, uh, mainly because like sometimes you don't follow key logic exactly the way it is because you don't know where the keys are. Um, and, uh, that takes away bomb jumping as well. Uh, and I want to say there was a tournament back in either 2019, no, either 2019 or 2020. And it might've been across where like 2019 went into 2020. I'm not sure of that time frame, but there Mm -hmm. was a side tournament. I'm not sure who ran it. Um, but I know some people in the GMP community were a part of that Mm -hmm. and they said they had some fun with it, but it was a little like, it was like they almost would set up like the ice palace bomb jump. And then it's like, (laughs) Oh, well I can't do that. Like that'll get me disqualified. And it was like, it was just like a lot of hoops to jump through and uh, nothing against playing the game that way. If that's how you want to play, I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I do remember some, some talk of that accessibility rule set. If it still exists, no one really pinged for it as far as racing. Um, so like it wasn't a super popular mode, uh, but I, you know, if you, if you want to race it, I mean, go for it. Like you could always see if that mode still exists or that role still exists. I'm kind of checking now her, uh, what are you, uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, yeah, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of on the same wavelength about this. I think, uh, the, the problem is I think, a vast majority of the community is just so used to the little things as you might call them. Like, as you said, bomb jumps or, you know, skipping a key for a key. Like if you really want to follow it that thoroughly, you would have to go everywhere where you get a key for a key, because that's how the key logic is laid out as you were saying as well. And I'm also kind of wondering what Matt means Uh, with especially those that involve performing an action you would never attempt in the base game Uh, that's you know maybe you would attempt a bomb jump or would you never attempt a bomb jump in the base game i don't know but my honestly oh go ahead go no no, you go ahead finish your thought (laughs) Uh, i was just gonna say my main point is i think it's gonna be hard to find people that are not just doing some sort of minor glitch uh, that they're just so used to that they don't even think about anymore. As you were saying, you're going to stand in that room in Ice Palace at some point and you're like, oh, all right, I'm just going to bomb jump across here because that's what I've done in the past 2,000 seats I've played. And it's going to be hard to yeah. find people who, who don't have that so ingrained in their muscle memory that there that they're really would be no logic breaking or like a completely glitchless tournament even without minor glitches yeah and it's it's definitely doable uh it's just i i personally just think it would be really tough like i i would not have as much fun playing that because there's been races where you know i've done pod and eastern and mire all in the dark and then got my lamp in the first chest of you know, ice or not ice, but uh turtle rock, you know, like right before you go into the dark room of TR, there's your lamp and having to like t- turn away from everything just to get a lamp. It's not always the, because that, that's one thing I can think of is like, you would not do that in the base game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't be lampless per se. Yeah. Um, the fake flippers used in the speed run. I never learned. I never did that. I mean, obviously I played on the U S version when I played casually, so it wasn't available. Um, but, you know, fake flippers used in the speed run, not so much probably casually for, you know, even the Japanese players, mm-hmm. um, spin speed, stuff like that's probably not used. I never used it casually. Again, U.S. version could not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, th- it, it's kind of like uh, this is how I, I view that that rule set. 
Um, and it's actually kind of a good topic to like talk about for just a moment like we have. But the the way I would view that is like me and my IRL friends who all enjoy Zelda um, can play this way mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of see what happens. Um, yeah. But as far as racing, you know, against other competitive people in the community, I'm not really sure, you know, just because of knowing how little it's been raced, that mm-hmm. mode's been raced. Um, I just don't really see it taking off. Yeah, I, I think to kind of put a bow on this, uh, my final thoughts are, for one, there will be so many little things that are banned that are just natural to everyone, as I was saying before. Uh, you were saying spin speed just now. I thought of item dashing. That's some stuff that you, oh, yeah. you could probably easily find out just an accident in the main game, right? Just pressing two buttons at the same time and suddenly you're dashing ahead with a hammer in your hand and you're like, oh, hey, what's this? So, you know, that's yeah. the thing. And uh, as I said, to put a bow on this, I think you might find people in the community who want to play this with you, but it's going to be an extremely niche thing, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Uh, well, well, Matt, thanks for your question. And thank you for listening to every episode. That is quite the feat to yeah, be honest. You know, we're up to this, this one being number 80. So again, thank you so much uh, for your fetch question. I'd probably be, uh, I'd probably be sick of me, but at this point after 80 episodes, right? <laughs> I couldn't listen to myself. I can never get God. enough herfy derfy. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, well, it's that time. Um, let's just blow through this real quick. Uh, Visit our Twitch pages, uh, twitch.tv, temp underscore, uh, Dante with three A's, and Herfy Derfy. Uh, those are all the Twitch usernames. Feel free to give us a follow as well. Uh, more so that Go Mode podcast one like we plugged earlier. Um, and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, it's been at 52 forever. Temp went on vacation literally because we haven't hit 53 yet. That was the whole reason he was so distraught. He was like, I'm out. Yeah, he, and um, he needed some time to unwind. He couldn't believe that people wouldn't leave a review. Okay, we can't have only fifty-three or fifty-two listeners, right? We have fifty-two iPhone listeners. That's what I like to think because okay. that's the only place we can really leave those yeah. those interviews. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Or what you been what you been up to lately, Herf? Like, what do you, what do you want to shout out this last little bit before we close out? Oh, uh, let's uh, let me think a little bit. What have I done lately? Let's. Uh, you know, let's do this live. Let me open up my Steam library and take a look. I've been playing uh, Industries of Titan, which is an early access game. Uh, it's like a little bit of a city builder, kind of hard to describe. Voxel graphics, uh, really fun, still in early access. Uh, you know, make of that what you will. Uh, other than that, you know, I've been kind of in a gaming drought, I have to admit, because summertime and not a lot of stuff has been coming out. I've played some more Bloodborne. Bloodborne's always fun. That's about it. Awesome. How about you? I am. I'm still playing Red Dead Redemption 2. I am in the middle of chapter four. Oh, nice. Uh, the the chapters feel like they they go on forever. They do. Um, <laughs> I'll 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 talk about it more with when Tim's here. You know, maybe we're kind of just like talking about stuff. But I've I've hated um the whole like having to shave and cut my hair because when it gets long, it gets, it look he looks terrible. Yeah, I, he I does. hate him. Yep. I agree. Um, he looks so unkind. Yeah, I hate it. So it's like, all right. And I finally got to this like city place where I can like get styles and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, well I can make him look like a normal human being. That's yep. got a little bit of a cowboy in him. And, uh, now he's, now he's like a cool cowboy, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to <clears throat> uh, progressing the story a little more. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll talk about stuff we're, we're into again later, but 
I guess. Uh, let me get the piano queued up. Let me crack my fingers here, mm-hmm. and uh, we can uh, play our little exit loop, and we can mirror out. 